0: The first question is, in verse 6 of Sri Arunachal Ashtakam, Bhagavan says, whether they, the world picture, stops or whether they continue, they do not exist apart from you. In what sense do the world picture exist as the self? And what is the practical implication of this? One could understand this superficially and say that since the world is the same as the self, why not attend to the world?
1: Um, Ar- Arunachala is Ulladu, it is what is. Nothing can exist, nothing can exist as other than what is. Whatever seems to exist, it borrows its semi-existence from the actual existence of Arunachala. What alone actually exists is Arunachala. That is, Bhagavan begins verse 6 of, Ash- of Arunachala Ashtakums by saying, there is one substance. What is that one substance? Arivoli, uh, the light of awareness. Ulame, the heart alone. Ni, ni means you. It's referring to Arunachala. So, what actually exists is only Arunachala. The, the, the one substance, the one thing that actually exists, is only Arunachala. And what is Arunachala? the heart, the light of awareness. So that means that light of awareness, that pure awareness I am, that is the only thing that actually exists, that is our natural. Without this fundamental awareness I am, there couldn't be ego, the false awareness I am, this body. And everything that appears and disappears, in whose view does it appear and disappear? Only in the view of ego. So all other things are depend for their semi-existence upon ego, because they seem to exist only in the view of ego. And ego depends for its semi-existence upon the real existence of our our self as we actually are. That is, without I am, ego is the false awareness, I am this body. Without the fundamental awareness I am, there couldn't be the false awareness, I am this body. As Bhagavan says in um Verse thirteen of Uddhunapadu: Nyanamam tane me one self who is awareness. Pure, uh, nyanam there means awareness in the sense of pure awareness. One self who is pure awareness alone exists. Nana vam va nyanam awareness which is multiple is ignorance. What he means by awareness that is multiple? In an earlier version of that verse, he says. He said, Nana Vaikan Kindra Jnana, the awareness that sees as many. What actually exists is only one. But ego is an awareness that sees that one as many, but sees itself as all these many phenomena. So that is ignorance. But then he goes on to say, even that ignorance uh, does not exist, even that ignorance which is unreal does not exist as other than uh, oneself, who is awareness, which alone is real. So we alone are real, everything else is unreal. So all these unreal things couldn't exist, couldn't even seem to exist apart from the one real existence, namely ourselves. And then he gives an analogy, the the, the, the many ornaments Uh, Can can a multiplicity of ornaments be be anything other than the one gold? That is, though there, there are many ornaments, the substance of all those ornaments is one. So, so long as we see the ornaments as ornaments, we are not seeing the underlying substance for gold. That is, we, we are seeing it, oh, this is a ring, this is a necklace, this is different to this. But actually, there's no difference there. The difference is only superficial in the forms, but substance is non-different, is one. <clears throat> so, all these differences we see here is because we're seeing names and forms. If we saw the underlying substance, we would see all is one, but there is only one, There is only the pure awareness. <clears throat> so that's one way of answering that question the other way of answering it is bhagavan says uh, nindrida um that means let them let them stand or sendrida, let them go uh that that we can take in two ways let them stand means let them remain or sendrida, let them go that's one way of taking it or let them stand in the sense of you uh, uh, let, let them stand in the sense of stop. Let them stop, or let them go on. So I will. We can take it in, in in two ways. But what it means is whether phenomena appear or not, they are not other than you. So what we should be interested in is not the phenomena which appear and disappear. They they are uh, nindri That means they're in place. They're coming and going. If they go, they come. They, uh, whatever goes must come, um, and whatever comes goes. So it, it's it's impermanent. What is permanent is only our natural, the, the pure uh, awareness. I am. What we should be interested in is only attending to I am. If we're interested only in attending to I am, we'll be least concerned about whether other things appear or disappear. Because we're not. We're not. If you go to the cinema to see only the screen and you're interested only in the screen if you're not in the slightest bit interested in the picture whether the picture is there or not you're least bothered you're seeing only the screen that's what you came there to see just to see the screen so if we're interested only in seeing the screen we'll be least concerned about the pictures because the, the pictures seemingly obscure the screen only when we take interest in them. When we are not interested in the pictures, when we are interested only in the screen, we won't even notice the pictures, whether they're there or not, because we're only interested in the screen. And the, the pictures appear only because of, that is a picture of this world, uh, but constitute and by one, when, when he's talking about the world, he's talking about both about the external world and about the internal world. He in the previous sentence. He says it appears inside and outside um, that there's a mental, in, a, a seemingly very two worlds, the, the external world of physical phenomena and the internal world of mental phenomena. Of course, all is mental ultimately, but, but there seem to be two worlds. But these two worlds, they exist only because we attend to them. When we don't see the world, it doesn't exist. So so long as we're interested in the world, it will continue seeming to exist. When we lose interest in the world by being having all consuming interest to know only who am I, it doesn't matter whether the world appears or not, because we're not, even if it appears, we don't attend to it. That's what Bhagavan means there. We need to be so focused in attending to Arunachala Our natural meaning, uh, that that light of awareness, that one substance, that uh, the heart, uh, I am. uh, As I said, ulam also means I am. That's another uh, deeper meaning of ulam. It means the heart, it also means I am. Um, So that's what I'm referring now to the first sentence of that verse. So Bhagavan is talking only about the, the one thing that we need to be interested in, is that one thing that actually exists, that is I am. If we hold on to I am, it doesn't matter whether other things appear or disappear, uh, because we're not concerned about them. And actually, if we hold on to I am, ego will thereby subside. And since everything else appears only in the view of ego, everything else will um, will subside along with ego. And that's what he said in the very first uh, sentence of the next verse, verse 7 of Ashṭakum. Because he, there's he continuity of ideas in all these verses. In the next verse, he begins by saying, indra-ham-enum, uh, indra-ham-enum, uh, enum uh, uh, Enil. If a thought called I does not exist, uh, uh, Pira Ondrum Indrum, nothing else exists. So it's only because we've risen as ego that all these pictures seem to appear. So long as we are interested in these pictures, we'll continue rising as ego. Only when we lose interest in the pictures, let them appear or let them not appear. No concern of mine. We're interested only in attending to Aronachula, who's shiny in our heart as I am. Then we, because of our focus on I am. Ego will subside, and when ego subsides, everything subsides along with it, because as he says in the next sentence, what he refers to in the next verse as uh, the thought called I, uh, aham enum nenebu, that aham enum nenebu literally means the thought called I, that is ego. So what he's saying in the next verse is if ego isn't there, nothing else is there. So uh, he's giving us a clue there. What we need to hold on to is just our own being, I am, and be least concerned about other things. Let them appear or let them not appear. If we're not interested in them, they won't appear. They appear only because we're interested in them. But we shouldn't for that reason be, are they still there? If we're interested to see if they're still there, our attention is going towards them. So we need to be completely indifferent to them. This is exactly what Bhagavan says in the In the sixth uh, paragraph of Nana, however many thoughts arise, so what? Big deal. Why should we be concerned about it? Thoughts are a problem only if we're interested in them. If we're not interested in them, if we're interested only in our being, let them appear or not appear. We're not interested. We're not going to look at them. So why should we be bothered whether they're there or not?
0: The next question is, um, the strength of my desires is making me hopeless, despondent, angry, and miserable. I cry to Arunachala and Bhagwan, but to no avail. My question is, to what extent is it Arunachala's responsibility to give me love, to turn within, and to what extent is it my responsibility to, to stop attending to the world and to look at Bhagwan lovingly? <clears throat> the deeper truth is
1: But the two are not two they are one um that is but to to answer the question a little bit more carefully you say your desires are so strong where from where do desires get their strength the desires get their strength only from us it's because we who who desires all these things i do so it's only because 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 i i desire them that I is giving they're deriving their strength from I, from me. So if we want to deprive desires of their strength, we need to make the choice not to allow ourselves to be swayed by our desires. The more we are swayed by our desires, the stronger they become because the more we are, the more strength we are giving them. If we, if we refrain from being swayed by them, if we're becoming indifferent to the desires, they will lose their strength. Regarding grace, but, but it is necessary for us to try to turn within, but our trying to turn within, what gives us the love to turn within is only grace. So we cannot, we cannot separate effort and grace. Grace is functioning through us in the form of the effort to turn within. So when people say um, uh, great effort is not necessary, we can leave it all to grace. They don't understand what grace is. Grace functions through us. So whatever effort we make to turn within, that is the working of grace. If we are not willing to turn within, we are closing the door on grace, so to speak. We're turning our back on grace. Grace is always trying to uh, see this verse, verse um, 8 of Akshramlay. Bhagavan prays to Arunacharya, show me your beauty. But if we pray, show me your beauty, and look in the opposite direction, what can he do? Where is his beauty? His beauty shines within our heart as I am. If we want him to show us his beauty, we need to look at it. You, you, there has to be, uh, we have to play our small part. Eventually, when we, when we turn within and see his beauty, we will be swallowed by his beauty, then we will recognize I did nothing, everything was done by grace. But so long as we seem to have a separate existence, it seems to be necessary for us to make effort. If you don't make the effort to turn within, if you don't try to turn within, grace is always willing to help you. But when you are unwilling to be helped by grace, grace isn't going to force you. So, But The willingness on our part is necessary, the willingness to try to turn within. So however strong our desires may be, we shouldn't be perturbed. But desires are strong now because of the strength we have given them. If we want to deprive them of their strength, we need to stop allowing ourselves to be swayed by them. Yes, we will fail many times. So many times we'll be carried away by our desires, but we, we need to try again and again and again to turn our attention within. Thereby, we weaken the desires and we, get, we strengthen the love to be as we actually are. So that's why Bhagavan says in, verse, in the eighth paragraph of Nana. He says, "God and Guru are in truth not different. Just like the prey that has been caught in the jaws of a tiger can never escape, those who have been caught in the glance of Guru's grace will never be. Uh, will Will surely be saved and will never be forsaken." He gives a, he puts it very. Uh, he puts it in a very strong language. They surely be saved and never forsaken. He assures us, but he adds in a proviso there. Nevertheless, it is necessary to follow without fail the path in, in accordance with the path shown by Guru. So we have to play. His great grace will do everything for us, but we have to play our part. Because if we're not playing our part, we're in effect refusing the Help, but grace is always offering us. So we must be willing to accept the help of grace. And how do we accept it? By turning within. That is surrendering ourselves to grace. And grace will do everything else. But our small part is necessary. The willingness on our part is necessary. The willingness to turn within, to try to hold on to self attentiveness is necessary. Otherwise, we are rejecting, we are refusing the help that He is giving us. He is showing his beauty, but we are looking in the opposite direction. We can't say, oh Bawan, why are you not showing your beauty? We must be willing to look where the beauty he's showing us. That beauty is shiny in our heart. He is shiny in our heart. So to see his beauty, we need to look within. Uh, Someone has asked a question here. No, uh, can... Chi Chatagranti is ego. If Jada dies, then why is ego still alive after the mortal death of Jada? But Jada portion of ego, in Chit Jada Granti, Jada means, refers to the body, which is in but the, the body is just a projection of ego. In a dream, the, the dreamer is ego, the, the the body is uh, projected by ego, so the, when when the when the dream comes to an end, because the ego the dreamer remains, it continues projecting dreams. So ego cannot rise and stand without grasping your body as I. But the body it grasps as I is its own projection. That body doesn't exist independent of ego. So uh, when the as, Krishna says in the Gita, the death of a body and taking a new body is just like changing a shirt. When a shirt gets worn out, we take off the old shirt and wear the new shirt. So the ego is that which always will grasp a body as I. So it's not necessary, but it's not dependent on any one body. It cannot rise or stand without uh, grasping a body as I. But if this body is, uh, dies, then it grasps another other body as I. Grasp here Mean it projects and, um, and experiences it as itself. I hope that's uh, an adequate answer to your question. So the question
0: is, we cannot comprehend God because he is the infinite and the unlimited. While we in this mind of, of ours are limited and finite, In consequence, we cannot envision the state where we are free from the mind or the ego. So the only thing we have is the conviction that there is the love, the grace that is offered by Shiva to us. So Shiva decides how much love to give and when to me.
1: He is not, He God is infinitely free. But one freedom he doesn't have is to withhold his love because his love is infinite. He can never not bestow his love on us. He, when you say, um, you you said we um, he is infinite, we are finite, so we cannot know him. He, the reason we don't know him as he actually is, is because he is ourself as we actually are. So long as we, Rise as ego, we are limiting ourselves. So now we know ourselves as I am Michael or I am whoever. So long as I know myself as this person, I don't know myself as I actually am. What I actually am is God. So if I'm to know God as He actually is, I no need to know myself as I actually am. But trouble is because we are looking, we are taking God to be something other than ourselves. That's where the whole problem lies. God is not anything other than ourselves. God is ourself. And to know God, we need to know ourselves. So we need to turn our attention back within. So long as we are allowing our attention to go outside, we are looking in the wrong place. We are looking outside for happiness. We're looking outside for God. We're looking outside for jnana. Is this person a jnani? Is that person a jnani? We're looking for jnana outside. The whole purpose of, of Vedanta, what is the essential teaching of Vedanta? you are that so that means stop looking outside but what you took to be that something outside some god or brahman or happiness or jnana or whatever it was you're looking for outside you yourself are that that means stop looking outside look within so so all the whole problem comes, the root of the problem is our limiting, our rising as ego, and thereby limiting ourselves as I am this body. So long as I limit myself as I am this body, all these other things appear and I look outside. How to put an end to this? Stop looking outside. Look within. Even this body, all the five sheaths are outside. So so long as we rise as ego and are aware of ourselves as I am this body, we are by definition facing outwards. So how can we put an end to this rising of ego? Only by looking within. So that's what, what Bhagavan's teachings are all about. That's what uh, Advaita is all about. That's what Vedanta is all about, if we understand it correctly. It's all about looking within. That's the whole purpose of the Mahavakya, Asi. That is a third person, something outside. So we're looking for it outside. We need to stop looking outside. We need to recognize that what appeared to be, what, what we mistook to be a third person, is actually the first person. So we can know it only by turning within to see who am I? So this simple investigation, who am I, but Bhagavan has taught us, this is the solution to all problems. But we must be willing to look within. We must have all-consuming love to look within. Then he will reveal himself to us. He's always willing to reveal himself to us. He's always showering his love on us. We are turning our back on him by looking outside. We need to look back within. We need to submit ourselves to his love. Then
2: his love will devour us.
0: The next question is, did Bhagwan advise us on the best way to relate to other devotees and how to avoid ego traps in those relationships that can so easily occur?
1: There there is only one effective way to avoid ego traps. That is to avoid rising as ego by holding on to ourselves, by holding on to our own being, we thereby cease rising as ego. So long as we rise as ego, the traps are innumerable. Ego itself is is the producer of all traps. So the solution is don't rise as ego. How to avoid rising as ego? By holding on to ourselves. So long as we're looking outwards, we're rising as ego. So how we should behave outwardly if we are following this path of subsiding more and more within, the outward behavior will go on according to Pararapta. We need not be concerned about that. If it is our destiny to have relationships with people, whether they're devotees or not devotees, this world is full of all types of people. In our day-to-day life, we come across all types of people. So we we have all types of relationships. I mean, most relationships are very passing. We just ha- happen to be standing in the same queue as someone else. We hardly even notice them. But some relationships, in, uh, sometimes we end up having to talk to someone. We may be going to the to the supermarkets to buy something and in the checkout there's some problem with the checkout machine so we have to attract the attention of the assistant and there's a little bit of relationship there we how we behave we behave civilly to everyone because we are subsiding if if we are following Bhagavan's path we are inwardly subsiding so we will we will our behavior will be agreeable in the, the eyes of others we won't be we won't be Getting into conflict with others. That and in life, some these are these are casual relationships I've talked about. But so many closer relationships. We have our parents. We have our husband or wife. We have our siblings. We have our children. Uh, so there are so many of uh, 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 family relationships, and there are also so many work relationships, and are, all types of relationships are there. How we should behave. Bhagavan has given a simple yes, you asked whether Bhagwan had given simple guidance. Yes, he has given. Um, in the last paragraph of Nana, he says, if one's self arises, everything rises. If one's self subsides, everything subsides. One's self there, tan, is referring to ego. Then he says, um, <coughs> um I'll just get the, the sentence. Um it's a very, very important sentence, but it's a little bit difficult to translate it adequately in, in English. Evlo kevlo tandu nadu kiromo avlo kavlo Nanmayundu. That means, to whatever extent, sinking low, we behave, to that extent there is goodness. What he means by this verb, this... Can't do it's an adverbial participle, means sinking low, subsiding. It implies being humble. So how nadikarom literally means uh uh we walk, but it implies how we conduct ourselves, how we behave, how we conduct ourselves in this world. We should conduct ourselves subsiding, sinking, inwardly sinking. How do we inwardly sink by holding on to self-attentiveness. So the more we hold on to self-attentiveness, the more naturally humble we will become. And as a a humble person, we will naturally have have, um, have harmonious relationships with others. Even if they don't want to have a harmonious relationship with them, we will accept, okay, it's Bhagavan's will. This person wants to give me trouble. That's Bhagavan. No one can give me any trouble if it's not Bhagavan's will. So we will be harmonious even with those who want to give us trouble. That is how, how a devotee should live in the world. See, so, what Bhagavan's teaching is all about is subsiding, subsiding, subsiding. That's why in the last sentence, of an, the, the third and last sentence of that, or oh, the fourth and last sentence of that paragraph, the one I just read was the third sentence, it, it, he says, uh, "Manate kondu enge if one is continuously curbing the mind or restraining the mind, sub, subduing the mind, Wherever one may be, one may be. Or it can also mean wherever one may be, let one be. How we we should interact with the world, it will all happen appropriately if we are subsiding more and more within, if we're constantly curbing the rising of ego by clinging to self-attentiveness. So let's not worry about how we should behave with others. Let us worry about clinging to self-attentiveness. Everything else, I, I think in Bible it said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Seeking the kingdom of God, that kingdom of God is within. So turning our attention within, holding on to I am, that is seeking the kingdom of God. Everything else will be added, so let us not worry about anything else. Let us not worry about relationships. Let us not worry about any of these things. If we are truly following Bhagavan's path, we will be the most agreeable, humble uh, uh, person. And so even if others want to uh, have conflicts with us, we will be least bothered. We will love our neighbor, we will love even our enemy. Because in our view, there won't be any enemies. Whatever happens outwardly, whatever happens to us, if someone causes trouble to us, who is causing us trouble? It's only Bhagavan. Bhagavan alone, no trouble can come to us if Bhagavan doesn't allow it to come to us. So ultimately, whatever happens is his sweet will. And as Bhagavan says in verse 2 of Arunachapattikam, «Ni nishtum your will is my will». That is happiness for me. I hope that adequately answers that question.
2: Yes, Michael, very adequately. Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you.
0: The last question is, uh, what is the significance of doing Giri Pradakshana on Purnima days as opposed to doing it on regular days?
1: <laughs> um, in my view, doing Giri production is good at any time. Um, Yes, people do attach importance to certain special, special occasions, Shivaratri, Deepam, Pornima, Pornima means full moon, but I don't know much about these matters, but it is, there is a connection between moon and mind. So, um, so the phases of the moon can affect the um, can affect the state of the mind. That is why uh, um, people who are mad are called lunatics. It means they are affected by the moon. Because they're, they're, in ancient times, people noticed that people who who suffer from lunacy, they, they, their minds were affected by the moon. All minds are affected by the moon in some some way. So there's exactly how the moon affects the mind, we need not be concerned because we have to be looking outwards in order to see that. And our aim is not to look outwards, but to look inwards. But, for example, it is said during a time of a lunar eclipse, it is more difficult to control the mind, to keep the mind calm and one pointed during a lunar eclipse than it is at other times. Um, that is why times of lunar eclipse, it's recommended that you should do, you should go to a temple, or you should do, you should meditate, or you should worship, or you should do something, because that, that is when when there's most uh, obstacle, when the mind is most fickle, that is the best opportunity to try and make it steady. So it will have, have some significance to do with this, but we really need not concern ourselves about this. There's a story about um, um, some person approached Hanuman and this person wanted to, to undertake. They, they wanted some undertaking, whether it was a business undertaking or getting married or something. They wanted to know from Hanuman, what is the most auspicious time? and the most auspicious place to begin this undertaking. And Hanuman said, the Rama t- Titi, the, the, Titi means the, the moon. So the, the, the Rama moon and the Rama star and the Rama, um, the, the, the Rama place, all of that alone. So what, what he meant by that is, wherever Rama is, whenever Rama is, That is an auspicious time. Where is Rama? Rama is God. So everywhere, every time and every place is auspicious for doing good things. So um, we really, it's for the worldly people, these sort of things, auspicious times and everything is important. But if we're following the spiritual path, every moment is auspicious because at every moment, Bhagavan is shining in our heart as I. So let us hold on to him in our heart. That is what's important. So about Giri productioner, if you have, whenever you have opportunity to do Giri productioner, that is the auspicious time. So you need we when we're following Bhagavan's path, we need not attach so much importance to all these particular times and all these things. These are uh, these are trivial
2: things. I hope that
1: adequately answered that. Uh, Someone has written a comment here. The mind can go crazy anytime, but is more likely on full moon. Such is the power of the moon. uh, Lol, such is the Shakti power of the moon. Um, Better chain yourself to the wall on full moon. We need to chain ourselves. Whether the moon is full or not, we need to chain ourselves to I am. If we chain ourselves to I am, the moon will not affect us. If we allow the mind to come outwards, then it will be affected by the moon. Why to allow it to come outwards? Even the moon is a projection of the mind. So why should we we think about these things? Our only interest should be attending to I. Because I is Bhagavan. The real name of Bhagavan is I. Bhagavan said the first name of God, the natural name of God, is I or I am, because he is always shiny in our heart as I.
0: There is a comment um, that, Michael, uh, with your enormous knowledge, uh, it's a blessing to have these sessions, and uh, can we have these sessions every week?
1: So. <laughs> um, but, what we can have every week, what we can have every day, what we can have every moment is turning the mind within to hold on to Bhagavan. If at all these sessions are useful, it's because we're dwelling on Bhagavan's words, and Bhagavan's words are constantly turning our mind back within. But we shouldn't be, but we should understand Bhagavan, what Bhagavan teaches us dwelling on his teachings is an aid to turning within but the aim of his teachings is to make us turn within so we shouldn't be re- constantly relying on on the on the, on the external teachings what are, we, what are bhagavan's teaching pointing at they're pointing our attention back within so we need to be what we need to be doing at every moment is trying to turn within so The external aid in the form of uh, listening to talks about his teachings and everything, he knows how much, what dosage is appropriate, he gives that dosage. So just take all these external things. These are medicines given by Bhagavan in the appropriate dosage. But the essential thing is The medicine is going to not work unless we imbibe the medicine. Imbibing the medicine means turning back within. So that is what's important. The knowledge, but you you, you say Michael has so much knowledge of all these books, but all the the knowledge that is contained in these books—that is Bhagavan's knowledge, Bhagavan's clarity. Where does that knowledge come from? It comes only from within our own heart. The source of all true knowledge, the source of all true wisdom is in our own heart. So the books are useful to the extent to which they turn our attention back within. So you can listen to lectures on Vedanta for years and years and years. If you don't turn your mind within, it's all useless. If if you're ready for it, just one word is enough to turn the mind within. because Tineswami was a fully ripe soul, his that jnana was ignited in his heart by one word from Bhagavan. And it was a word that was said seemingly in another context. Bhagavan simply said to him, Iru. Iru means be. But the context in which he Bhagavan said that, Tineswami had resigned his job and another job was available uh in pondicherry so he was planning to go to pondicherry to apply for that job and when he took leave of bhagavan bhagavan said iru in the context that superficially that means uh, wait stay um don't go that, that superficially that's what it means but Tinay swami was a fully mature soul so when bhagavan said that one word iru that was enough to uh that was the spark but lit the fire of jnana in his heart and burnt the whole um uh, b- burnt everything in its so, like Bhagavan said, but but the spark of jnana, uh like a like a spark but um uh, but uh, falls on a um on a on a big uh, um <coughs> um big stack of, uh, of cotton, a small spark will burn the whole, the whole stack of cotton, everything will be burned by this small spark of jnana. That small spark of jnana was ignited in Tane Swami's heart by this one word from Bhagavan, because he was mature. Because we are immature, we have to be reading his words again and again and again. But we can be benefited by his words only to the extent we try to put them into practice by turning within more and more and more. For that, you don't need Michael. You don't need anything. You need only the love to turn within. And that love, where can you find it? Only in your own heart. So if you, want to, if you want to find that love, it's always there in your heart. But you need to
2: turn within to find it. Om Namo Bhagavati Sri